Hello and welcome to the Virgin Gardener podcast, the podcast for everyone who loves gardens and plants and basically all the good things. I'm Letitia McClough and I'm a journalist, blogger and plant enthusiast. So today I am totally thrilled in a bit of a squealy way, I think, to welcome Summer Rain Oaks. For most of you, she needs absolutely no introduction, but just in case anyone out there hasn't heard of you, Summer Rain, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Uh, I am, you know, again, Summer Rain. I live in Brooklyn, New York, and I uh, didn't grow up here. I grew up in the country. Mm-hmm. And I do a blog called Homestead Brooklyn, which is helping people keep more attuned to nature through simple things in life. Of course, like gardening is a big part of that. Yeah. And I recently published a book called How to Make a Plant Love You and then do a fairly popular YouTube channel on um, <laughs> called Plant One on Me and 365 Days of Plants. Absolutely amazing. And the, we'll talk about the YouTube channel a bit later because uh, it's it's compulsive viewing, I have to say. Um, but can you just tell me a little bit more about your background and specifically kind of how you came to develop your relationship with the natural world and sort of where does that kind of, well, did you study? Where does the geekiness come from? Because I love it. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I think, um, you know, the first and foremost, I grew up in the country. And I think that reflecting back on it, it, um, it made me realize like how much being out in nature has such a presence on us, even if it's um, even if it's not something that we internalize when we're young. I, I, for one, was probably one of the most environmentally charged children, you know, for even in my school district. And I would argue that a lot of the kids grew up in a very similar area to what I did in northeastern Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, my parents had a really beautiful plot of land. It wasn't much acreage, but it was um, situated between uh, farms and fields and forest. And that for me was just an incredible playground to just start exploring. And my parents were both gardeners as well. We had a beautiful orchard and beautiful gardens, both, you know, vegetable gardens as well as flower gardens, which my mother tended to. And, mm-hmm. you know, in kind of writing about it, it's some of the my most pleasant memories of being able to kind of dig that up from the, the past and see how it's uh, affected me and in so many different positive ways, even to this day. So mm-hmm. for me, it was always... Um, something that I knew I was passionate about as a child. And I'm grateful to have had that passion because I think so many of us are like always trying to find that passion or how to take our hobbies or the things that we like and turn them into like professions. And, you know, for me, I knew I wanted to go to school for this. And so I got to study ecology and environmental science, entomology as well, which is the study of insects. Mm -hmm. I kind of liked all the creepy crawly things, the things that we'd often, you know, overlook. Um, that are just so integral to our environment. I think, you know, I, I agree with you there. And I, that, um, that love of nature, I think it's wonderful that it, it just shoehorns straight into your choice of career. Not because you also have, a, you also have the modeling as well. Well, for me, the modeling came second in a way, right? Because I was looking for really creative means to be able to get environmental issues out to a wider audience. And I think we have to be creative in that because you kind of get stuck with like, you know, by by nature, you know, just stuck with people who like think like you. I mean, it feels comfortable. Um, You know, they act like you, they go out to all the same places. And I think I reached a juncture in my life where a lot of my friends were not, you know, 
they didn't necessarily grow up in nature. They didn't look at it the same way that I did. I was exposed to so many different varieties and types of people when I went to university. And it made me think about, well, what impact can I leave on this planet? And that started to make me think through other possible means and make myself a little bit more uncomfortable and go into industries that I had nothing, (laughs) knew nothing about. And, uh, and the way that we wear clothes, the way that media uses pop culture. I mean, I always joke that I'm like totally pop culturally illiterate because I <laughs> hadn't had a TV since I was five. So when anybody does any, did you see that movie? Did you see, I mean, some of my good friends are, you know, really good filmmakers and directors, um, who do really popular movies. And I'm like, I don't even, I've never even seen your movie. So you <laughs> I like you have as a, TV. a person. I don't have a TV. I don't have a Netflix account. Um, you know, it's it's just something that I just had never valued, maybe. Or mm-hmm. I, I just always have the activities that I want to do are just kind of not necessarily in front of the boob tube, if yeah. you will, which is strange because I do shoot content as well. But the content that I do and would want to consume is something that's educational and enter- entertaining, something that, you know, brings some value to my life so that I could actually be more prolific in a certain area of my in the real world, you know, if you will, and I'm kind of separating the digital world from the real world to a certain extent, even though it is all the same. But um, for the intents and for all intents and purposes of this conversation, you know, I just mean something where it's in the physical, you know, realm. Well, I want to talk about that YouTube channel, because it is an exhaustive, encyclopedic, almost tool for discovering pretty much anything that anyone may want to know about houseplants. It really is. I mean, I I really want to nudge anyone in that direction if you haven't come across this YouTube channel, not only for specific knowledge, but also for inspiration in terms of styling and design and when it comes to kind of decking out your house with living things. Um, So, you know, although I am so tempted to ask you all the houseplant questions right now, I'm just going (laughs) to direct people over there so that that they can just take a look at that. Um, Do most people come to you wanting to kind of get the look uh, and then they become hooked on the plants or do they come already quite quite well well versed in um, in the slowness of it all well I just completed a whole you know two seg uh, two months of content around houseplant 101 like back to basics yeah. and what I recognize is that there's just a, so many more people who are coming into the world and discovering you know, houseplants. And I think that they're discovering houseplants more than they are, in my case, when I was a kid, discovering plants outdoors, largely because a lot of people don't have their patch of green any longer. Like, you know, some people are in college and they're kind of discovering this and they live in a dorm room or um, they're living with their parents or there's all sorts of things that are uh, that have shifted. You know, 80% of us are actually living in cities and urban areas versus, you know, the more rural or countryside. So I think that this has affected the way that we want to connect with nature. And, you know, which is, I think, part of what, you know, my my book is about. Hmm. But with the YouTube channel, I recognize that I covered a lot of the basics, like, two years ago, but there's just this flood of new people who are discovering this for the first time. And of course, like, part of the YouTube algorithm is recency. So it's like, you almost like have to re, you know, re um, introduce these things, which is fine for me, because I think that, you know, as you start things, and you might know that, you know, know this yourself, given that you do a podcast, sometimes when you first start out, it's not like the highest quality or anything like that. Uh, Not that that people don't, 
like the, I, you know, I sometimes wonder whether people do value quality, but um, I value it. So I think yeah. that's important. And so, you know, so having good audio, having good visuals is important to me. And I like to pull my viewers as well. Um, you know, I, at the end of last year, I asked people, what do you want to see more of, you know, provide some constructive criticism. What are the topics that you'd like to see? Uh, mm-hmm. And, and I, I got like a tremendous amount of feedback and, you know, so it's always like this balance of like what you want to do and what your viewers want to see. And sometimes that lines up and sometimes it doesn't. So it's kind of like that, that nice dance of like being true to yourself as well as being true to your, your, your viewers as well. I want to talk about your book. Uh, It's called how to make a plant love you cultivating green space in your home and heart. And that really grabbed me that. So you talk at length here about your need for nature, about our need for nature, really. And I really love the fact that you you back you back that up with so many studies. And they're all in this book. They're all put in the back of this book. So you can actually look them up, too. And I love the <laughs> fact. I love that. And it's what we all intuitively know anyway, that plants, even just the sight of plants makes us feel better. So how soon in the community that you built, you built via your social media channels, did you notice that? plants were having this effect with the people that you were coming across? Well, I think, you know, I'd always wanted to do a book on plants. And I had approached my my book agent, my literary agent about this. And he's like, oh, it's not going to sell. And I was just like, oh, I kind of felt a little bit upset by it because I was like, no, you don't understand. There's like, there's this energy and you sometimes just feel the energy that's, you know, around you. And um, at that point, you know, um, you know, for for those who are listening in, like my home went viral probably around April of twenty um, uh, three years ago, so April twenty sixteen or so, mm-hmm. and I didn't expect that to happen, um, you know, at all. Like I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't pitching anybody out. I had always, you know, grown house plants for almost as long as I've been growing. Um, and living here in, in Brooklyn, which is now coming upon 15 years. And I was, uh, that's how I was like introduced to people's enthusiasm really for plants. And it was, it was funny because it was just three months prior that I had went to my literary agent and told him that I really wanted to write a book on plants. And I was like, you have to understand that it's not like your mother's or grandmother's gardening. It's something very different. It's something within the zeitgeist. And I wasn't able to really articulate it much, you know, beyond, you know, a few sentences. But then when, you know, something hit a chord and resonated with folks, you know, I was like, oh, that that's it. I didn't really get around to starting um, Homestead Brooklyn or uh, Plant One On Me or, you know, launching the Houseplant Masterclass or anything like that until almost a year later. So in February 2017. So there was this like, you know, mm lag time in between because I was actually focusing on something else. I was focusing on um, f- like sustainable food systems and writing a book on um, reducing sugar intake and in, in people's diets and um, focusing on whole foods and all that other kind of stuff. So I had been kind of like focused on something that I think is obviously very connected, but um, is also very different and in a completely different vertical um, for most people. So uh, making that shift over into plants was kind of like a, you know, a Hail Mary. And I joke because, you know, this is where and how I grew up. Like I would have loved to actually, um, you know, focus on this right when I got out of university. But 
I don't think that the the culture or the zeitgeist was there, at least not here in in America. But um, it really um, hit a chord through all sorts of different countries and means. And I think that was really lovely. I mean, I had so many people writing in from India and the Philippines and Thailand and, you know, from all over the world, Netherlands, Germany. It's it, it was just, uh, I have to admit, a really, really overwhelming. And that's how, um, you know, Plant Went On Me, the YouTube channel started because I was getting all these questions from people, which quite frankly, I can't field. I can't, I can't field yeah. the amount of questions coming in, uh, even if I had 24 hours in a day and I just devoted just that to answering people's questions. So Plant Went On Me was really born by taking all the most asked questions that people were sending me and then answering them and putting them into a catalog or an encyclopedia, if you will. And so yeah. I think that's why the YouTube channel has become really useful for people because it's literally answering people's questions that I get on a regular basis. So you don't even have to say, just Google it. You can say, go to my YouTube channel. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, exactly. Like fungus gnats. I just did an episode on fungus gnats, but like I had done one back in, you know, an, an episode 15. So I just have that in my you know, head. And if somebody says, oh, what are those watering things you use? I'm like, episode 16, watering hacks, you know, what kind of lights do you use? Episode 54, you know, so I literally, you know, I know which ones people ask me the most because I start to internalize (laughs) the, the, the literal episodes that I do, which has been, you know, helpful because then I could point people directly to, you know, my, my recommendations. My goodness. Yes. And by the way, the watering hacks are unbelievable because, but I think what, what first striked, uh, strikes you when, when you look at your apartment is how the bleep does she do it all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, uh, just really wonderful hacks, uh, for watering. Um, go to the YouTube channel, you can find out. Um, So can we just chat a little bit about the practical side of your book, talking of uh, watering hacks, um, but more about um, the get growing exercises that you've got. Mm. Um, And I really, really love them. They they fall into seven categories, I think, to reflection, um, evaluation, observation, association, discovery, and going on a plant date. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. Well, I think the original idea around the, you know, the book, when I started to talk it out with my publishers is that I wanted to kind of fall along in the the sense of like a relationship guide, you know, to living with plants Mm. and living with plants. I don't mean just like indoors. I mean, also on this planet, um, on this beautiful planet of ours. And, um, and so at first I kind of uh, viewed the, the book making this kind of transition as if you are really reading a relationship book and you are learning to kind of live with plants and so it loosely follows that trajectory and I'm glad you kind of stop and take a look at the exercises I didn't want it to make it feel too workshoppy or too workbooky um, at all Um, but it is one of those things where it is a book that you could you know read and set down and then actually practice a little bit more about what you have read within that particular chapter. Well, I and can so, definitely imagine myself, you know, starting some kind of a journal around those exercises. So yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm very attracted to that because I like lists and things mm. to do. So yeah, I definitely, um, uh, it was, it, it was where, where my eyes went first. Well, that's, um, that's really good to hear because I think we all, you know, learn uh, different ways. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny because when I, 
I have something related, you know, this book is um, how to make a plant love you is a little bit more of like a philosophical spiritual guide, you know, obviously teaches us how to observe, you know, going on a plant date is more along the lines of actually getting to know your plants before Mm. you actually bring them home. Um, But when I do it in the houseplant masterclass, uh, which I have, you know, uh, more, it's more tactical, um, you know, uh, like first of all, the masterclass is an online audiovisual course that is like much more tactical, mm-hmm. and you you know kind of get to know the nuts and bolts of indoor gardening. Um, however, I find that a lot of folks who take it are just like they want to just breeze right through it, and and really it's meant to actually take pause, learn how to observe plants to get the most out of it, which is you know I touch upon. Um, you know, in this book kind of throughout, because what I realized is when, you know, I would ask people in workshops, you know, observe this plant, you know, some people would start and say, oh, well, it's green. Um, And then we almost have lost our language or our ability to be able to not only observe, and maybe somebody has a really good, um, you know, vocabulary, and they could pull out some really impressive adjectives. But then, making the bridge between what are you observing and what do you think that means yeah. is uh, is a huge leap. And, you know, coming from the world of, you know, ecology and natural history and environmental science, you know, you go out into the woods and that's what you do. You observe. And I share with people that, you know, when you go out in the woods that there's no usual plant tags on there. You can't necessarily Google it right away and know exactly, you know, what that plant is all about if you don't know the name of it. And because there's no tag, you have to kind of intuit and observe, you know, why that plant is growing the way that it is, um, why the flower is shaped the way that it is, you know, what, why the color of that leaf is the way that it is. And you begin to create these stories and uh, firm that bridge in your mind. Even if you're incorrect in your theories, I, I say, well, that's okay, because you're actually using your noggin in order to be able to create these stories. And then you could go back and do some research and you could see whether you were right or wrong or whether you have a brand new, you know, idea that has never been formed before. And I think that is, you know, part of the, um, special nature of this book is actually the things that you read in between the lines. Yeah. And, um, and that's where I think that you, um, the, a reader will get the most out of how to make a plant love you. Mm. And I do think also that that bridge that you're talking about creating with those exercise, it just, uh, it, it not only, it, it opens up a door to your intuition. And I think people are stopping, stop using their intuition. Yeah, I think that, I think that's right. And, you know, it's it's interesting. Like, I have talked to some folks who've done my master class and all this other kind of stuff, and and I and I've gotten into a couple of conversations where folks are just like, just tell me what I need to do. Yes, <laughs> and people like we that, have, don't they? Yeah. yeah, and we've we've reached a point I think where, um, you know some of us maybe don't want to learn. Some of us just want to be told what to do. And I can appreciate that. You know, we're we're in a very time crunch world. People like the way that plants look. They just want them to have as, you know, part of their decor. Um, But I, but I do think that we are missing out on the, the um, key, which is building those rituals and the routines in our life, learning from the experience, going through that process. It's the process that's, it's the journey that's like the most fun. Um, You know, growing and losing a plant, you know, it's, it is part of the journey, Mm. um, you know, and being able to pass that plant along from, you know, generation to generation, that's part of the journey. Okay. 
Absolutely. And speaking of journeys, I do want to ask you about your attempts that you uh, you uh, talk about in your book at rewilding, um, and you're describing it in amazing detail. Was it a former coal mining site? Yes. Yeah, so I grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania, which for people who aren't aware of that area, it's it's been heavily mined. Um, it's now being heavily fracked, which is, mm. you know, basically, you know, extracting, um, you know, putting lots of bad chemicals down into the earth, uh, earth and bringing some of that oil up and fracturing rocks. It's called um, it's uh, fracking is hydraulic fracturing. And um, so that area is very rich in what we would call natural resources, but it's been, um, you know, heavily altered and changed, some which is unseen by the eye. And I grew up as a teenager actually um, working on restoring coal mines. Um, and it, it, I think that was just a really of eye-opening experience for me. Um, there were other things that I did on the job, you know, working with something that is called biosolage, which, which is a euphemistic term for sewage sludges, which actually mm -hmm. I spent a good portion of my college and university career actually working on issues around that. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it really got me thinking. There is like many, um, you know, moments where, uh, you know, eureka moments where I was like, oh, this is, this is what's going to shape the way that I approach my own life. And I think that's part of the reason why it, it got me out to um, think about how we can actually connect with people through what we do on a daily basis, whether it's through what we wear, what we put on our bodies, what we eat, like the things that connect us on a daily basis. Because just talking about coal mining doesn't necessarily, and the effects of coal mining doesn't necessarily have the effect for everyday people. And, and as a matter of fact, when we were working on Grassy Island Creek, which was one of the coal mines that I was working on, um, we had to frame it in a way of that it was polluting a class A trout fishery. Really? And because we have, yeah, and because we have a lot of fishermen and fisherwomen in the area, um, this was something that they was... Cared. <laughs> yeah, they cared about. And, mm -hmm. and I think that was really an eye opening experience for me to know that people might not care the same way that, that you do on the specific issues. So sometimes it's just reframing it and meeting people where they're at. Yeah, it's and I think, and I, I think that's really important too, with the, 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 the book on houseplants, like I said to my, um, you know, or just focusing on indoor gardening, I, I shared with, uh, with my literary agent, I said, this isn't your mother's or your grandmother's gardening. As much as I love that, you know, it's, it's meeting people where they're at. And yep. I think that that's where how to make a plant love you comes in is meeting people where they're at. But I've always said that even my work in fashion is a way to hook people in and then give them the depth once they're once they're in. And so yeah. this this book has allowed me to be able to dig a little bit deeper and to hopefully give somebody who's coming into the book something much different on the way out after they finished reading it. Well, I was very interested in the rewilding thing, particularly as it wasn't ultimately the success that you hoped it would be. And I, I really felt your sense of helplessness after all that hard work and the effort that it took, that it just wasn't possible to restore what Mother Nature had taken so many millennia to make. I mean, I just think personally, I deal with a lot of eco-anxiety, not just in myself, but my children are coming to me with it. And I wonder mm. really how you feel about the climate crisis and, and what you do to mitigate kind of despair. 
Shall I call it despair? I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's a tough one, right? Because you go in and out of days where you, you know, feel maybe totally at a loss. Like most recently, one of my friends who I'd written pretty extensively about in the book, Alan, um, came and he stayed with me just recently. He's from Mozambique and he put in 25 years of his work, you know, kind of restoring this land in Mozambique. He's one of the largest tree planters in the country. And Hurricane Ida came in and just literally like flattened oh. 25 years of his work. And, you know, he's much older now. So he's like, I don't have the energy to, to be able to, you know, continue this forward in the way that I had, you know, um, 20, 25 years ago. Um, and, you know, these are just, you know, and that was like Mother Nature kind of getting yeah. angry there. But, you know, also knowing that the land there had been so heavily devoid of trees. Um, and it's such a similar to like, in a way, what happened with um, Grassy Island Creek. It's just like you you start planting and the forest is not really yet intact. You know, it's still very fresh and still very new. And then a storm comes in and and probably one that is more extreme because of you know what's happening with the climate and it just kind of tears things apart more easily you know the mangroves are gone mm. you know wetlands no are gone break, anything, nothing no yeah. windbreak nothing mm. you know so the ecosystem is not intact and that ecosystem is there to not only protect you know itself you know but also you know everything else around it so you know these are these are the critical things i think that the the key that makes it feel um, less challenging for me is by, you know, building community and inspiring others and empowering others, which I think that you, I could only do what I could do. And, and that's why I think like plant went on me and everything like this is all my efforts are, um, are something, you know what I mean? Yes. Like doing the plant swaps, inspiring people to come together as community, you know, uh, giving some, you know, that money to the ticket money to a, a local garden charity, getting people to go and experience that themselves so that they could be inspired and do things like there's only so much you could do. And if you could utilize your life as a way to um, empower others, I feel like all boats rise with the tide. Um, but it is, you know, in this place where we're, we're, um, just in a, a space where it, we have to get a little bit more clever, clever, yeah. you know, by, by coming together and across industry and working in, um, a, on a larger scale. I mean, I think that the other project that I had mentioned in the book, the Great Bear National Rainforest, that's a really incredible, yes. um, uh, example of how, over the course of decades, uh, private sector, public sector, government uh, had come together to really conserve a large swath of territory. That's happening with another colleague that I'm working with in the Amazon rainforest, which will take, you know, probably more than decades to put together because you're working across multiple governments who have various different policies. Sure. Right now, the Brazilian government is not in um, the right, I think, mindset as it relates back to the environment. But, you know, so these things are important. I think that we just have to get savvier and, um, and connect ourselves to, uh, larger initiatives and to empower the people where they live. You know, if you're working in communities, um, if you're working in both, you know, local communities, as well as regional, as well as global communities, empowering the people who are there 
because you can't be big brother and big sister all the yeah, time. You cannot. And it's, it's billions and millions of people doing doing as much as they can in their own small, small way, isn't it? Rather yeah, than yeah. a few of us doing it all right all the time. Um, now, can you just tell me, please, about uh, one last thing, which is your Sunday. Uh, you say that you set aside Sunday for your plants. Can you just take me through a typical Sunday in your beautiful house? Yeah, sure. And I mean, this is just to clarify that um, I, I do take care of my plants almost every day that I'm here. But Sunday for me is kind of like my my holy day with plants. Mm -hmm. So I very rarely give Sunday out for events or anything along those lines. I'm not doing brunch with friends. It's just kind of like me and my plants day. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I, um, something I didn't mention here is that I do have a rescue chicken that I live with now. So part of my day is actually influenced by my hen who like lives with me so in the morning I get up pretty early um, because I'm on hen schedule and uh, and so I do take care of her first her needs first because she will not have it if I uh, if uh, she, she's I a little bit to, of a queen I do she's, think I think I do need to know something about your chicken um, does does your chicken poo all over your house I mean, oh, like, how, yeah. how does I mean, that work? Oh, I am like, I am at my chicken's beck and call, you know, <laughs> that poo does not stay on my floor for more than two seconds. Like I, um, sh there's places where she goes and there's places where she doesn't go. Anything comfortable looking, anything like <laughs> a carpet, anything like, um, you know, a pillow, anything like my couch or my bed, she doesn't go on because it could be a potential nest box area for her. Oh, and okay. like, and then birds are really good at like not wanting to dirty their nest. Um, at night I've created these things that hang off my door cause she sleeps on my door and they're like little, I call them poop hammocks. <laughs> they just like, basically um anything that she has like any errant turd that kind of drops at night will get caught in the poop hammock um i, I think that. they're just like a brilliant invention and i've actually seen them now that i've saw like people with like their chicken coops some people have something similar to a poop hammock i'm like oh my god that's amazing yeah but she lives with me um i take her out to a coop that i i volunteer um at a local se senior citizen service center and um i take care of uh a bunch of other chickens and I put her there for part of the day. So it's like, she's in her country home, I call she's it. And then I take her in at chicken. night. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and so many different ways, but anyway, so <laughs> I, I wake up in the morning, I take care of her, I get her food ready. Then I go out and, you know, by usually by seven 30, I'm out the door and I'm taking care of the other chickens, like cleaning up their poop, <laughs> you know, giving them fresh water. And then by the time I get home, it's like eight o'clock or eight 15. And then I'll make a pot of tea. And while I'm like, while the kettle's on, I'll like literally go through my house and take an inventory of my plants and what needs to be done that day. And I never get it done. I never get it all done all in a Sunday, but um, I kind of water throughout and kind of prune throughout the week. So Sunday doesn't seem like a chore at all. You know, it's just something that I spend more of my time on. But, you know, repotting plants could take a longer time. But if I'm just watering my plants, then for me, that's, you know, what I describe in the book as a moving meditation. It's a way where I'm just kind of in my own head. I'm just going from room to room. Um, I usually have a little compost bag where I could, you know, clip off some dead leaves or like little um, bits where I want to make the plant bushier. Mm -hmm. um, I don't do as much propagating now just because I don't have a lot of space. But if right, I do I'm see sure something you're... that's like propagatable, I'll just, you know, kind of cut it off. 
off. But but that's kind of like my day. And then I kind of clean up at the end and I could be, you know, it's become more like around, you know, four to eight hours. Um, you know, Sundays, sometimes I'll go out to the community garden because I do have a community garden plot, but I also help manage their rain garden there. And I did a landscaping in the back for like a wildlife food forest. Um, like that's a little bit more uh, of a shade forest in an 800 square foot kind of patch in oh, the back. Um, sounds like so, bliss, utter bliss. Yeah, it's really wonderful. I mean, our community garden is about a, I, I don't know how it translates in hectares, but it's like about a quarter acre, which is mm-hmm. sizable. And, you know, an 800 square foot space to plant on is that's what a normal like or even less than normal um new york city apartment is you know it's like it's it's a sizable space of of territory so to be able to have done that you know in the city is just like so wonderful and it was an area that people didn't use um in the back and that made me sad because it was just like it was dark people didn't grow anything back there because they can't grow their vegetables Mm -hmm. um and and i was like this area could be totally transformed and so you know, part of my goal was to do some really loose permaculture principles because it's something that I've studied. And um, and then also just to have something blooming at every point of the season. Um, and we have so many great like native trees that actually bloom throughout the winter and have some kind of point of color. And that was and that would have some kind of wildlife uh, or human actually food value. Yeah. Um, so I got the soil tested back there, planted like a lot of native plants, um, some that are more like naturalized as well, but a lot of like witch hazel, like witch hazel is great. It always, you know, blooms in the winter months. And, um, and I have Circus canadensis, which is Beautiful. Eastern red bud that just like comes out early in the season, like in March. So at every point of the season, there's something that's in flower, which just always just makes me happy. And, uh, it just made me so happy to see people um, sitting back there now. And the garden manager walked back there the other week and she's like, wow, this is really shaped up. And I'm like, yay. <laughs> wow. As if plants are actually growing. Um, yeah. But the yeah. community actually helps with that, do they? Did you set that up? Did you have to set up meetings and all the admin stuff that goes with that? You have to do that, right? Well, the rain garden was very much more community oriented. We brought in like 15 volunteers. Um, The back area, uh, unfortunately, didn't involve that many other people, largely because I think it's it's uh, important to note. It's like, can you get people active outside of their own area that benefits Mm. them? Mm. Um, And, you know, a lot of folks in our community garden are older folks from the area. And um, a lot of them have the kind of principle of like, I go in, I, I, uh, grow my food and then I go out. Now that the area is changing, you have a lot of like younger kind of like new blood, if you will, that are coming in and they're like, oh my God, I'm inspired to like actually contribute beyond my, um, actual garden plot. So we have some uh, community members who have come in one, uh, Daphne has like took it upon herself to create this community stage, you know, for people to come and enjoy and, um, and to do theater and to do, um, you know, to sit on grass, which we didn't yeah, have there before. Wonderful. Yeah. And then another guy named Jasper who's come in and he's a chef and he's, he's, uh, he's a young chef and he's worked with the school kids to actually, you know, grow vegetables in community plots and then go to their school and actually create like little pizzas, you know? So it's, it's these things that I think that you begin to realize that, you know, there are people who want to contribute and you just, you know, find them and you foster that. Yeah. So I've got one more question for you. Um, do you think you could tell me, please, 
Do you view your plants as you might view a child or a friend? Well, I surely view them as a huge part of my life. And if I think about, um, you know, I don't have a child myself and I've actually, you know, never had the desire to, to have children, um, uh, which I think, you know, I've grown to appreciate and respect, um, <laughs> but, you know, people, yeah, people who do as well, who have them. Um, so for me, um, I, you know, I spend more time probably with my plants than I do with people. Um, but, uh, but I think that's just the nature of being in, in the city. Um, I and, suppose what I'm getting at is, do you see them as something you need to protect or something that contributes to your life in an equal way? Do you wake up thinking, oh my God, I got to look after all these things? That's what, is there a panic? No, 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 no. I think if there is, if there was a panic, I think that it would defeat the purpose as to why they're in my life in the first place. Um, you know, one of my friends had come over and he has, he's, he's always in a panic about his plants. And I was like, I, I wouldn't be able to have them, you know, and I think that's the the key that I want to you know, share with people. Like I do have over a thousand plants in my, you know, Brooklyn apartment and some people are like, oh, too much or do this. And, and that, and I appreciate that. Like, you know, sometimes one is enough for people. Sometimes nothing is, is, uh, you know, fine for people in, in their life. But for me, I, I don't really, you know, I, maybe it's my personality, but I, I don't like, I guess I don't panic easily. Um, but I, I would say that the one time that I did feel a lot of stress is when, you know, my house, um, I had non-elective uh, construction happen in my house uh, right. relatively recently, actually, while I was writing the book. And for three months, I had anywhere between three and 16 people in my home. And that oh was God, like insane. Oh, it was just insane. And I had to move all of my plants in the middle of my house. I, I got off of my watering schedule. Like, you know, my ficus lyrata was being bumped in. My big oh my ficus lyrata was being bumped in all the time. And I was just like in, in such dire straits. And I realized like how much like organization, you know, really means to me in my yeah. home because I always see if there's a plant out of place. Like, mm -hmm. I have a lot of plants, but like, you could always tell if like something's just like shifted. I'm like, where did that plant go? Um, <laughs> You know, so, you know, for, so part of it, part of the routine and the ritual is by having things in place and by feeling like you can um, not only manage it, but it actually, you know, adds something to your life. So in a way, I do, you know, view them as a way as an integral part of my life, an integral part, obviously, of the of the world. Um, and I and I write about that. Um, and I do think that it's very similar to, you know, having a relationship with plants is very similar to having a relationship with with people. Yeah. And we we can look at them um, a lot more ways along those lines. And by projecting um, ourselves onto them. I mean, I, I have so many different community voices that um, have contributed to how to make a plant love you and how they individually and collectively view their plants through some trying times in their lives is just really emotionally uplifting. Uh, you know, in the past, people have always looked at, you know, gardening as symbolic and I think that it's okay that we go there and then we have that symbolism mm -hmm. in our lives because it makes us actually value what we're growing so much more. Well Summer Rain thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Is there anything apart from this amazing book of course which I will uh, link in the show notes and it, it's out on the 9th of July isn't it? Yes that's correct yeah. yeah. So and if you are listening to this podcast on the day that it comes out 
go and get it immediately. It's out. <laughs> and I, I will actually say that um, one of the things that we're launching, depending on where you are in, in the world, um, we are having something called a plant shop pub crawl, pub being short for publication. Um, but uh, we're partnering with over um, 75 local plant shops across seven countries. And so if you bring your book into one of the designated plant shops, you'll actually get 15% off. So it encourages people to really go and um, explore their local garden centers and their nurseries as well. So hopefully How to Make a Plant Love You will inspire you to get more green into your life and then also visit some of your wonderful local garden shops and centers. And um, I'll be releasing that, um, you know, on the uh, shortly so people will know what garden centers and what countries are, um, are involved as well. Fantastic. So, and you'll you'll find links to all of Summer Rain's uh, social media channels, including her YouTube channel, um, in the show notes as well. And thank you so much again for taking the time. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate your time as well and your efforts. You can find Summer Rain at Homestead Brooklyn on Instagram, and her YouTube channel is, of course, Summer Rain Oaks, where you can ogle at her glorious life and her remarkable chicken and uh, or just google her because she's very very famous thank you my darlings for taking the time to listen to the virgin gardener podcast uh, if you liked it then maybe subscribe and leave a five-star review if you didn't like it maybe you'll like another episode uh, if you don't like it at all don't do anything okay <laughs> Thanks. Uh, you can find me on my blog, LetitiaMcLeaf.com, or via my Instagram or Twitter at LetitiaMcLeaf. Until then, I'm sending you all the good things. <laughs>